Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have a very special installment of Freeway Philharmonic. This episode will feature Will Hutchinson, a singer-songwriter living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Will and I actually went to high school together, and I've sort of been following his career as it took him all over the United States, but talking with him for this episode was such a wild ride for me as I had never really known his full story of how he got to where he is today. So this was special in that regard and just nice to connect with him in this way at this point in our careers. And so we began his interview with me asking him how he first got into music. So, yeah, my musical journey started when I was really young, uh, like before elementary school. I Suzuki piano for like a couple of years um, from an amazing woman named Eddie Olsen. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of my, I guess, developing my ear for music. I feel like the Suzuki was very helpful in helping me start realizing that I had a knack for music um, because it came really easy for me. I really liked the way that the music sounded. I liked the way that music made me feel. I liked feeling like I could, you know, memorize and accomplish things and I've always kind of liked solo piano playing since then. That's kind of been one of my favorite types of music to listen to. My grandparents, they took me to a lot of orchestra concerts growing up um, at the Lead Center and there was like a Nebraska trumpet ensemble that they always had tickets to that I would go to as well. Uh, Nebraska Brass is what it was called. And so when I was in elementary school, I started Actually, snare drum was like my first instrument, but I could not figure out the left hand. And my dad found a cornet at some garage sale. And uh, my armature must have been very agreeable because like the first time that I just tried it out, a trumpet just came very, very easily to me. And and so I connected with that. And Mr. Burke, my band teacher at the time, suggested I stop playing drums, which is a good call. And so, and then I started playing trumpet and, and that's what I did. My, my parents got me into lessons for that. And, uh, I hadn't been taking piano lessons since, you know, I was like six at that age at that time. But, um, I started taking trumpet lessons with this guy, Tom Kelly. He was a great teacher, but for some reason I just never, I think it was a discipline thing because I never practiced. <laughs> I never, like, all the way through high school, I kind of just coasted on the whatever raw talent I had for the instrument and however good I could get in the short amount of time that I would play each day at school. And, you know, through elementary school and through middle school, that was enough to make sure that I was, you know, always the first trumpet and the best trumpet and when I got to Lincoln High, that was like my first reality check of like discipline and what, you know, practice is important because I met other people like you and Matt Boring who had that same natural talent that I did, except you guys practiced 
And therefore, you guys were both better than me. So for all of a sudden, I went from being first trumpet to third trumpet. But yeah, I think the first year I was in like prep jazz band, and then I I uh, joined the marching band junior year because you couldn't be in varsity jazz band unless you were also in marching band and uh, symphonic band. And so I did that junior year, and then I was in varsity jazz band, and I think that's probably when I met you in that that year. And so did that. I think I played mostly third and or second trumpet. I remember you and Matt were kind of back and forth on that, but already at that time, it seemed like you were kind of going down a classical route. And Matt, he sits in with the Omaha Symphony and the Lincoln doing stuff here too, and and he plays in a bunch of bands still, and now he's the associate director at the Lee Center for Performing Arts, which is a one of the top 100 performing arts centers in the country, and, and I am also uh, playing music full-time, so it's kind of interesting how all three of us continued on in musical careers. I don't know if you will answer I love how Will's first interactions with music are so similar to many of our own stories. We just liked playing and we had fun doing it. I wasn't sure whether or not to keep the previous section in the interview or in the episode, but I think his lack of discipline at a young age makes for such a beautiful contrast to the rest of his story. Let's pick it back up where we left off. It was during high school, during that time that I I picked up guitar and for some reason, Guitar was the first instrument that really resonated with me. You know, I enjoyed playing trumpet, but for some reason, I think there was just something about guitar that allowed me to um, accompany myself and kind of play the music that I had listened to outside of school because now I enjoy classical music a lot more. But growing up and in high school, you know, I was listening to like, Incubus and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff. So, like, that was at that time the music that I think, because of it's what I listened to, why I got so into practicing guitar. And it was still mostly a hobby for me in high school, but I would say when I got to college at the University of Minnesota, my eyes were kind of open to the Minneapolis music scene. Um, I had this venue on campus there that was called The Hole, and it was in the third basement, way down underground, in the middle of... <laughs> that's why they're called the Gophers, because <laughs> they have really deep basements, and all the buildings are connected by tunnels um, at the University of Minnesota, fun fact. And, uh, um, yeah, this place is called Hole, and there's this guy named Dave Hill that was super connected to the Minneapolis music scene, and he would have all these fantastic bands come play down there. And they All the shows are free, and I didn't drink in college, so I uh, would look for activities to do while, uh, while I wasn't doing those other things, and so this was like a dry venue, and it was just all about the music, so I'd go down there and uh, see a bunch of really good shows, 
Um, I saw this guy, Jeremy Messersmith and Mason Jennings. And, and then there's this band called Brother Sister that I remember, too, that it was this brother and sister that were like hair metal rock and rollers. And this guy, every single show, he would make a guitar out of candy, and then he would smash the guitar at the end of the show. And so very, really creative bands. There was even a band in Minneapolis. There was a guy that made an entire backing band of robots. He was like an engineer or something, mechanical engineer, and he like created an entire backing band, and he would play guitar. And then his drummer, and every he made like humanoid band members that would like play the instruments with him on stage. Minneapolis was super cool town. But yeah, so when I was a freshman in college, I wrote my first song. And the second I wrote a song, I was just like obsessed. And I just knew that's what I wanted to do. I, um, I, I just, the idea that I could make something from nothing and that I didn't have to be the best musician in the world, but I could still get my message and emotion across. And that when I was writing music, I got to play by my own rules. You know, one, one of the hard things is when you're learning, which is a good challenge if you're disciplined and a classical musician is when you come across a really hard piece of music, it's like this exciting challenge and you learn how to play it. But for me, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so much work. <laughs> I would, uh, so I was like, well, if I write my own songs, then, uh, you know, things get hard. I can just make it easier and change whatever I write to make it work with my current skill set. Which, in retrospect, that's definitely not a good way to look at it. <laughs> but and uh, over the years, you know, I, I definitely got better at guitar. But for a long time, I definitely plateaued skill-wise. You know, because I did just write songs and I got really good at lyric writing. But, like, my musicianship did not grow in any way. My first album, 2009, I'd written all these songs, and they're good songs. The album was called Arise. Um, people liked the music, but because I'd just been playing music, by myself writing the songs, I didn't know any music theory. When I got into the studio, I couldn't even tell the band what the chords were for the songs because I just, like, knew the shapes on the guitar. And I haven't really played with the band until then. And so somebody told me, they were like, well, did you know, like, all your songs are in the same key, pretty much? <laughs> I had no idea. I thought I was because I was moving around different places on the fretboard and the neck that I must be playing very different things on every song. But apparently I was just doing different voicings all almost in the same key. I mean, every song wasn't in the same exact key, but it was there was a lot of songs that were similar sounding and so I found that out in the studio once I found that out I, I kind of switched things around but yeah so I you know my main goal was to be just a singer-songwriter and it was kind of this vague notion of you know I, I want to be a songwriter and that's what I want to do I want to make a living doing that and I want that to be my career but I didn't really think about how it would actually happen other than just writing original songs. So I, uh, somewhere along the way in college, I got it in my head that, well, the, the natural, next natural step is to like move to California. And so after like a sophomore year, I unenrolled myself from college and essentially dropped out at the end of the first semester. 
And uh, my plan was to get a job at Spaghetti Works in Lincoln and work to save enough money and move to California. And so I got the job, like, first day of Christmas break. I was officially unenrolled from college at this point. And I uh, worked for, like, three weeks in this job as, like, a server. And at the end of the three weeks, I had this holy SHIT moment. And uh, <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? I need to I, I need to finish college. So on the very first day of that spring semester, I told my dad, I was like, Dad, I think I made a horrible mistake. I need to finish school. And uh, he was like, I would drive you there today. And he, like, called the campus, and they, like, got me in. I had to go into a different dorm room because I had all moved out. But they got me in, so I never missed I dropped out for the Christmas break, but then they re-enrolled me for the spring. And uh, so I finished college then, but still wanted to move to California. So after I graduated, I was in a relationship, and so I didn't want to leave who I was with at the time. So I decided to wait one more year until she graduated. And then I I moved to California um, a year later after we broke up <laughs> anyways. And, uh, uh, well, actually, I moved to California and then we broke up like two weeks later, but that's beside the point. She said, welcome to hell, where the dreamers come to play, have you come to stay? Let's recap for a second. Will picked up a guitar in high school and he loved that he could make music on his own terms. He didn't have to have the same kind of discipline as he did in classical music because he could just make the things he was writing for himself easier if he needed to. After hearing some great bands in Minnesota, he realized that he wanted to move to California to pursue his dream of being a full-time musician. So he dropped out of college after the first semester of his sophomore year and began working at a restaurant called Spaghetti Works in Lincoln, Nebraska. Three weeks after he did that, he realized he had made a huge mistake. He enrolled himself back in school and then continued on like he had never left college. After he graduated, he stayed in Minnesota for a year before he actually moved to California. And the story continues from there. So, yeah, I got to California. When I got there, I kind of just was like, oh, I'm just going to show up here with my songs. You know, I think I have what it takes and I'll just catch that break or somebody, you know, I'm going to become like a star. You know, I had some vague notion of being like famous and that I would just maybe street perform and then I would just record an album that everybody would love. And all of a sudden, all my dreams would come true and, and, uh, I realized that quickly because I had a day job while I lived in Los Angeles that that's not how it works <laughs> and that it takes a lot more work to be a professional musician than I was previously anticipating. And so I had to ask myself the question was like, okay, well, why do you want to be a musician? You know, are you doing it to be famous? Because I didn't really want to do it to be famous and I really wanted to be a great songwriter. And so I answered that question and then, and then I said, okay, well, what's the difference between myself 
and the people that are full-time musicians out here in Los Angeles. And I made a list. And so I started looking at all the people that were really successful doing what I was doing in the songwriter scene and who of those people were playing music full-time and supporting themselves doing it. And one of my favorite quotes is, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something that you've never done. And so I realized that, you know, a lot of the really successful people, they were producers, they had acquired a lot of good equipment, but the most valuable asset that they have is their skill set and their knowledge. And so, you know, these people, they could read music, they knew music theory, you know, they could improvise, they could play with other musicians, they were versatile, and they could play lots of different genres. And I just made this big list, and I was like, wow, out of all these things, I can't do any of them. I'm like, no wonder I feel like a poser and I'm sitting here, you know, not being successful or whatever. So I was like, okay, well, my new strategy is I'm just going to start choosing each of these things off the list. And I'm just going to start learning how to do them and put the work first and just assume that if I want to be like these other people that are successful, by the time I acquire these skills that they have, that I too will, if I'm not already a full-time musician by that point in which I acquire these skills, I'll at least at that point have the skills to implement in a way that I could be. And so before I did that, I realized also that a lot of these people that were full-time musicians, they were working on music full-time. And living in Los Angeles, I, you know, was working like 40 hours a week at my day job. And then I was performing on the weekend, working at a concert venue a couple of days a week, and also street performing in the evenings, and then maybe having like a couple hours here and there to practice and play, which, you know, is not enough time, as you know. So I realized living in Los Angeles that the most valuable asset becoming a full-time musician was going to be time. And unfortunately, because I squandered so much time in college and working this daytime job, you know, I felt like I was really far behind. And so that's why I made the decision to leave Los Angeles and move back to Nebraska because I, I knew I needed to figure out a way to carve out more time. So I essentially started over when I was 25. I sold everything that I had in my apartment in Santa Monica, came back, moved into my parents' attic. Um, I worked a few more months at the bank that I had been working at where I transferred back. And then as soon as I could, I left the bank and got a job at a coffee shop, which meant I could work much less, you know, and put more time into the music. And then I started slowly having music take up more of the pie over the next year and a half at the coffee shop. And then I think it was like January 2015 or 16 that I that I left and started doing music full time. So, and so on that whole journey you know, the most important realization was that I needed to acquire those skills, that time was the most important thing, and that, you know, working in a full-time job at, like, a bank, even though I was, like, moving up the corporate ladder and technically making more money slowly, it wasn't worth the time that I was giving up. And so when I started scaling back away from, like, 
a career outside of music by getting like a minimum wage job at a coffee shop, you know. If you can figure out how to live working minimum wage, it's a lot easier to replace that income with your art playing music than it is to figure out how to replace your income as like a bank manager, <laughs> you know, to replace my coffee shop income ended up being like three weddings or three private events per month. And then I was all, I was making more than working at a coffee shop 30 hours a week. And then, you know, my responsibilities have grown since then. So now that I'm, I'm married and I have a couple kids, I definitely need more than three private gigs a month. But that was the starting point that kind of got me into playing music. And my strategy has continued to be to acquire these skills and spend as much time as I possibly can and just have faith that if I acquire the skills of being a really good musician and if I'm a nice person and professional, that opportunities will continue to increase. And that's what has happened. It's just, you know, I've tried to keep my eye on the prize as I learned that valuable lesson of to not be focused on fame as much as what I'm actually trying to create. And that, I feel like, has been the reason that I've been able to continue to play music. And so I haven't gotten lazy. You know, I, I remember what it was like to, you know, waste my time and, and I think my time working at a bank also is a huge lesson because I, I don't want to go back there. And so I know that I need to keep working hard as well. So that kind of brings me to where I am now. So now it's been, I left Los Angeles in 2013. I've learned how to side read music on guitar. I've worked my way through a couple classical guitar books. And so now I'm playing like, Hector Villalobos and Francisco Tarjega on classical guitar. And, and then I have some, like, cool box stuff that I'm working through. And I'm not, like, an excellent classical guitarist, but I can I can read music now. I I knew that I couldn't afford to go back to college, so I just went to the Berkeley website and looked up the syllabuses for their guitar program and basically just copied all the books that they uh, require all their guitar students to learn. And I basically just bought all the books to be a guitar major at Berkeley. And so I've just been working through those on my own. Um, and so my theory has gotten a lot better. I've audited um, a jazz theory class at the University of Nebraska last year that I did well in. And I've been taking private study lessons on drums and voice and guitar, uh, I've been increasing my production skills as well. So it's really exciting. I love being able to learn new things every day. Um, I love that the more you know about music, the more you know that you don't know. And so there's always room to grow. And I think being more organized and disciplined, I'm, I'm, if I ever feel like my practicing is not becoming very effective. I can always switch gears and create a new regimen and reevaluate, you know, what I'm practicing and where I'm spending my time. I want to show you a world I never shared. I want to know you like a bird knows the air on summer's night. 
This is the part of Will's story that really blows me away. He realized his dreams of stardom weren't going to fall in his lap, so he decided to make a list of everything other full-time musicians did, and then he started chipping away at that list. He wanted more time to dedicate toward music making, so he moved from California back to Lincoln, soon after quit his job at the bank and began working a minimum wage job at a coffee shop until his music making provided enough income to leave that job. Since then, he has spent the last six years investing in the process of getting better at his craft. In that time, he's learned how to read music and sight read. He learned pieces by major composers for classical guitar. He bought all the books that were required for guitar majors at Berkeley College and then started working out of those. He also audited a graduate-level theory course at UNL, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, to learn theory, and he began taking private lessons for drums, voice, and guitar, and he has also improved his skills in music production. It's just amazing to me the amount of love Will has for music. One incredible opportunity that Will has earned is being an artist in residence at the Cornhusker Hotel in Lincoln, Nebraska. This next part of the interview dives into what that opportunity entails, but before we get to it, I wanted to read you the post he made on Facebook when he found out that he got the residency. He wrote, I'm elated to announce I've been selected as the fifth resident artist and first composing artist for the Cornhusker Marriott's Artist in Residence program. The other three finalists were incredibly talented and the past artists that have paved the way for this residency the last four years leave me with some beautiful big shoes to fill, which I will do my best to try to do. This opportunity is a true gift to my development as an artist through the work I'll be able to create from the on-site studio, as well as all the people I look forward to engaging with from Lincoln and beyond. I'll be leading first Fridays in various workshops as a part of this residency throughout the year. So if you're interested in staying in the loop, you can sign up for my email list on my website. Peace and love, Will. So the Cornhuster residency is kind of like a grant, I guess. The Cornhuster Hotel is like um, the name like it. Uh, so it. The Cornhusker Hotel is one of Lincoln's premier hotels. It's like a four-star hotel. It's a Marriott, uh, something that's been done more in night hotels over the last few years all over the country and the world, I guess, is that it's become a thing where they have in-resident artists. So they'll like host artists for like one year um, that'll basically work on-site at the hotel and the guests can interact with the artists and artists can interact with the guests, and it's kind of this symbiotic relationship that the hotel supports the artist, you know, with a place to work, and also, in my case, there's a stipend, and then the artist is there to kind of give back to the community through their engagement, through workshops, so it's, it's a really cool deal. This one, this residency in particular, is 12 months long. There's a monthly stipend, a parking spot, and then I get like a an aquarium-esque studio that's near the lobby, so two of the walls are glass. And so I'll get to basically do this back-end work that I was talking about, like working on my musicianship, songwriting, production skills, 
all that work that musicians and artists do in the background every day that you normally don't get paid for or rewarded for. Um, you just get paid when you get the gig. I'm getting paid for the back end now to hone my craft and create art. So that's so cool. Um, and it's a great opportunity. Uh, they want me there at least 30 hours a week. And so I'll, I'll be there at least 30 hours a week working on practicing my musicianship, songwriting, and producing. And so I'll lead some workshops. And first Fridays, I'll be down there playing new songs that I've written over the course of the month and collaborating with other singer-songwriters and stuff. So what kind of opportunity is this? I mean, obviously you're getting paid for the the practice part of it, basically, and the honing of the skills. Uh, what kind of potential do you see for having a month, uh, or sorry, a year of being yeah. able to be paid for that? Like, what potential do you see? Like, where do you think it can take you? Well, it's, it's basically giving me the license to completely work on my original stuff. So. So I became a full-time musician, I think, in, like, January. It was 2015 or 16. I can't even remember now. And so most of my work is playing, you know, cover music at weddings and private parties and um, playing, you know, other people's music, which is great, but not my ultimate goal, being a songwriter. And, and I really love playing at weddings and private parties, but... I think this year is going to afford me the opportunity to get to the point where I can start doing more of my original music, you know, to make it available online to hopefully build a fan base for my music and, you know, get more of my work out into the world to get my production skills to the point where I can have a whole other revenue stream of income through my business via production and, licensing opportunities, which currently, you know, it's a huge stream of my income is not through a lot of original stuff, you know. So this is like the first big, you know, it's essentially like half of my income in this residency is going to be covered to work on my original stuff, which has not been the case the last three years. So the trick will be is if by the end of the year I can figure out how to make money to replace the income that I'll be getting during this residency with my original music instead of, you know, doing the same thing that I was doing leading up to it. If I can use this as a stepping stone to start getting into um, the next, I guess, phase of my career as a musician and performer. Is there any evidence that the Cornhusker residency in and of itself, it will help with that? Or is it just based on the work that you're able to do while having the residency? I mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna want to help me as much as they can with exposure. And, uh, like, some of the cool exposure things, you know, already, you know, I've had more exposure through the various media outlets in Lincoln, like the Journal Star article that you saw in this morning at I did an interview on KFOR, and I'll be on NET Friday Live this Friday to talk about it. And so there's definitely, like, um, publicity things like that that will help with exposure. There's just talking with past artists that have done it. They've had visual artists in, in the past that it's just um, kind of adds this level of credibility to your to your artistry, you know, because now I have, like, an actual credible entity 
you know, saying that they see, you know, I was uh, selected from a panel of like nine judges from the local arts community. So I have the credibility now behind my name to say that like, you know, Will doesn't just call himself an artist. This panel of judges who have their own reputations agreed that his art is, you know, worth be this artist in residence and, So there's that credibility thing. You know, I'll also be meeting people at the hotel from all over the country that will be staying there. A lot of people that come to Nebraska on business and people that play at the Leeds Center and things like that, they stay at the Cornhusker Hotel. So, And the Cornhusker will be advertising the residency to all their guests throughout the year. So I think they'll have, like, um, my information on brochures that'll be in every hotel room. So who knows how many thousands of people that is. So that's a great, I think that's kind of where the hotel will shine most as far as helping me get my name more on the map, you know, but a lot of it is kind of, you know, what I create in my hand and what's in my own hands while I'm there, you know, like how much music I write, how, how much better I get at guitar and, piano and drums and bass and uh, producing, like, that's kind of going to be what I make out of it, you know, and it's like, when you were, you were in college and practicing eight hours a day, you know, and you were having loans or whatever, a lot of students have loans, and so it allows them while they're in school to just completely focus on their studies, and so basically, I feel like this is essentially like a scholarship for me to just spend an entire year of just practicing exactly what I want. close out the episode, I circled back to expand upon something Will had said earlier in the interview. When he first moved to California and realized it wasn't going to be as easy as he thought to make a living making music, he said the first question he asked himself was, why do you want to be a musician? I followed up at this point asking Will if he would share what he came up with as his why. Here's what he said. So my why for, you know, why I pursue a life of music is I think that I'm inclined musically. But I think the the thing that I find most important is learning and growing and feeling that sense of accomplishment when you reach a goal or when you do something that you couldn't do before. And with music, you know, I I am inclined towards music because I do have a natural ability for it. And there's always goals every day that you can set in music and achieve. And I think that's so exciting. And, you know, every every day that I play music and learn something new, you know, I, I, I feel like it's not, music is something that you can enjoy your entire life, you know, unlike a lot of sports, you know. Those are limited and reach your prime and then it's kind of over. But music is just kind of this eternal blossoming. It's like a lotus that just keeps expanding and you can learn more about it and 
it can mean something new to you every day. So I, I think that, you know, I realizing my best advice, you know, for anybody listening, I'm guessing most of the people listening are already know they want to be musicians and love music, but I guess would be to just, you know, know that time is your most valuable asset and, you know, to use it wisely and how you practice is very important and what you're practicing is really important. And any time that you feel like you're getting in a rut to, like, reevaluate and reevaluate regularly and ask yourself, you know, because if it, if it starts being not fun, then that defeats the whole purpose of pursuing electric music anyways, because you're not pursuing music because nobody should pursue music because they're going to make tons of money, so it needs to be fun. So the second you stop having fun or you feel like you're not growing, like stop doing immediately and really ask yourself some of those questions about why you're not having fun and what you can do to make it more fun. Because I think that's really important to enjoy what what you're doing. I love what Will said here at the end. His initial response was, my why behind a life in music is that he was musically inclined. Being good at it was what got him interested in the first place. But a love for the process of learning and being committed to this lifelong journey is what is motivating and inspiring him to stay the course through all the tough times. Will's story is really inspiring to me. The things he spent the last six years learning on his own are things I learned by the time I was 21. To hear him talk about how much love he has poured into learning these skills he views as the difference between him and professional musicians makes me realize how much I take my music education for granted. What defines a successful music career? Winning an orchestral job? Becoming a college teacher? If I had the skills to design a life in music 10 years ago, why am I just now starting to see more and more possibilities for my life in music? Will's hard work has paid off in the present by receiving an opportunity to get paid for practicing and learning about his craft. After talking with Will, I honestly can't think of anyone that will take more advantage of that than him. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I would like to thank Will Hutchinson for taking the time to share so openly about his musical journey thus far. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would take the time to leave a rating and a review on iTunes and or share this episode on social media. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so on my website, thatsnotspit.com, as well as find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram, at That's Not Spit. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. <laughs>